This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. This morning, you know, I was thinking, uh, in light of the word of the year, God's talking about building great foundations. And uh, I was thinking, you know, how, how do we move into this year? What's the most important thing that we could possibly think of as being foundational in the year 2018? And uh, I was toying with the ideas. I thought, well, what would be a good title for the message this year? And so the title for this first message of the year is How to Get There from Here. Is that a good message? How to Get There from Here. So t- just tap your neighbor and say, we're going to find out how to get there from here today, okay? And uh, let's, let's just see what that means. And, uh, you know, uh, I have a passage of scripture I'd like to read. And uh, it's out of the book of Isaiah, the 42nd chapter. It says, and I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. And I will lead them in paths that they have not known. And I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do to them, that, and, and, and I will not forsake them. And then another verse of scripture that I love is found in the book of John, the 14th chapter, the 6th verse. And you know this verse. It's a, it's a powerful verse of scripture. It says, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. You know, as I was thinking about this, have you ever asked for directions uh, we had our vacation as a family, and one day I had to go into town, and I was looking for a place that somebody had told me about, and uh, it seemed like nobody lived in this village, because everybody we stopped and asked, hey, do you know where this is? We're looking for directions. Nobody knew. How many of you know if you ask a tourist where something is, the tourist doesn't know where they're going? How many of you know if, if you've just moved into a city, you don't know where you're at? I'm always shocked at people that don't know where they're going. When somebody gives you directions, can you understand them? I'll never forget, I was in Dallas, Texas, and I had a guy from here with me. Uh, traveling with us, and we were lost. And this is before GPS. Let me tell you something. And so we stopped at this, it was called a 7-Eleven. It's kind of a, a little convenience store. And we stopped there, and uh, we were looking for this place. And we walked in, and this guy had a deep southern accent. He talked, and he kind of mumbled at the same time. And he talked like this. That's kind of how it talked, you know. And he talked real fast. And he talked fast. So we walked in, and, and this guy was standing next to me, and this guy, started, I, said, I said, I'm looking for a place, and I, and I named it, and I, I'd grown up, I'd kind of been in this area before, so I kind of knew, and, and, you know, he started talking, well, go down, go down, go down, go down, go down, go down, wisdom road. I said, well, thank you very much, and I walked out. And I heard two words out of all that that I understood. I couldn't understand a word he said, but two words, and he made a hand motion, and I knew that it was a right turn on Wisdom Road, and that's all I needed. And I, and I said, well, thank you very much. And I walked out, I got in the car, and I said, and, and this guy looked at me, he said, 
He said, did, did you understand he said? I said, sure, I understood exactly what he said. And I drove right to the place. Well, it was the funniest thing in my entire life. But let me tell you something. Anybody else, that would have made no sense to anybody. So here's the question. You know, when you follow the directions that people give you, do they get you where you want to go? When you're new to an area, you know, you're often dependent on someone, on others for, their, for directions. And, uh, you know, I can't imagine asking somebody who is new to an area for your directions. And, it's, and I'm always surprised at how many people that have lived in Zimbabwe, for example, their whole lives, and they still don't know where things are. You live in this city, you don't know where landmarks are. You don't know where even key buildings, key things are, let alone in our nation. How many of you have never been to the Victoria Falls? Yeah. How many of you have never been anywhere in your own country? <laughs> you know, I'm shocked. And how would you tell somebody to get there? So I, we ask ourselves, how could someone live in a city? Just hold on a second here. Turn off the Wi-Fi. How could somebody live in a city or a country and not know the place? As frustrating as it is to talk to somebody and ask directions from somebody that gives you the kind of dumb, raised shoulder, I don't know, look. It's equally as frustrating when you try to receive directions that are so complicated that they're hard to follow. Have anybody of you had that problem? You know, when you ask a simple question, sometimes it's like, is it that hard? Have you ever had somebody tell you directions and it's like, oh my God, I'll never figure that out. I remember in my early years here in the country, I would drive out to farming districts and I'd take my directions down to the farm I was staying at. Now, how many of you know there's no street signs on farm roads? Well, you go down about four Ks, about four Ks, about four Ks, You'll see a big rock on the side of the road. Mm -hmm. Then there's a gate. Mm -hmm. you, so you're writing this down, you know. Then if you go down a little bit further, there's a big masasa tree. Take the fork in the road to the left. Things get really complicated, you know, especially now when you're driving. Now you're going down the road. Well, there's 50 big rocks. There's 500 masasa trees. There's gates everywhere. And you just realize, I am totally lost. And back then, there's no cell phone. Think about it. Just think about it. Things can get complicated very, very quickly. So I heard a story about a weary traveler who sought directions to a certain address. And, 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 he, was, and, he, and he stopped a pedestrian on the street. And uh, the pedestrian hmm, considered the address and said, yeah, that's on the other side of town. When asked how to get there, the pedestrian kind of rattled off some alternatives. He says, well, when I leave home, I take the interstate, and then I take the Fifth Street exit, and then, but 
he scratched his head. He says, well, but when I leave work, I can get there by taking the bypass road and come straight down the lane. But, and before the traveler could say anything else, he had another alternative. He says, when I leave my mother's house, I take the freeway, and it's a straight shot, and there's just one turn. But then the traveler interrupted, and he says, but how do I get there from here? You see, And by the way, the pedestrian just scratched his head. He says, I'm sorry, I don't know how to get there from here. There are many people today who give life directions only from their own perspective. The best directions usually come from people who are familiar with where you are and know where you're trying to go. As in finding physical locations, so it is when it comes to finding our way spiritually. There are many who are trying to find the way to a godly lifestyle. They are reading the street signs of life. But they have no idea of which way to go. Many have simply decided to just drive through life hoping that they're going to stumble upon God's way. Some have asked directions from those who have steered them in circles. Others have left them confused with their directions. Some have stopped looking altogether. As Christians, as believers, we rejoice that we have found the directions to heaven. Jesus, who has been there, lived there, has shown us the way. We read the verse earlier. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. You see, with Christ as our guide, we know exactly how to get where we're going from here. We know how to get there from here. And that's why we follow him and we, and we take no chance of getting lost. This passage in Isaiah focuses on a prophetic prediction that God would show those who are lost a new way of life. How many of you know that there are even Christians today that are lost? They're wandering. They're, they, they started out well, but for some reason, many Christians didn't get taught well, or they didn't get grounded. They didn't get a foundation. They didn't find community. They didn't find a place to be nourished and to grow. They have no real friendships. They have no real roots. They have no real relationships. They just have the hope of something that happened, maybe at an altar call or maybe at a camp, a youth camp, or maybe in a prayer meeting, or maybe with a friend. But they haven't been able to put the pieces together. There's nobody giving them the directions to their life. This, this passage in Isaiah Isaiah spent the majority of his life, you have to understand, trying to give direction to the nation of Judah. At this time, Israel had split. It was Judah in, and, 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 and Israel. They, they were two different nations, two separate nations. Judah spent most of their time as a nation trying to get directions from foreign, foreign sources, sources foreign to God. They were looking everywhere but God. Isaiah is trying to get them to look to God. 
as the armies of Babylon approached Judah, there were many that directed its leadership to forge alliances. Said, we need to make alliances with the Egyptians. You need to build alliances with other nations. It was thought that these alliances with these mighty nations could prevent Judah's defeat and their subjugation and maybe even keep them from being invaded. But Judah, like Israel that had gone before them, because they took direction from other sources, became confused and eventually the nation became defeated and the people became subject to Babylon and the Babylonian rule. God's judgment upon the nation came because they sought the wrong direction. And let me tell you something. This is the whole story of Isaiah chapters 1 through 39. Is Israel looking to the wrong places instead of looking to God. Chapters 40 through 66 focus on how God will deliver the people and ultimately show them the way out of their estrangement, show them the way out of their exile. But during their captivity, we have this lone prophet, Isaiah, and he prophesies about a day when God would restore the believers. So in the 42nd chapter, his words address not only the state of Judah and its affairs, but believers, you and I, believers of the future. Now, although his words are immediately addressed to the lost house of Judah, struggling to find its way into the graces of God, they are equally true to you and I. They're addressed to those of us in the future who are similarly looking for God's direction. Look at verse 16 with me. This is just one verse in the passage that makes a prediction of hope. Speaking directly to Judah, but also to you and I, those of us in the future, God makes four promises to those that truly want directions for restoration. First of all, he says, I will bring the blind by a way they knew not. I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. I love this. Here we see Drew, the Judeans or the, the, the people of Judah described as being blind. A blind nation. You know, sometimes I look at our nation, Zimbabwe, and I say, for as knowledgeable as we are, as much education as we have, sometimes I think we're blind. Sometimes I look at my beloved brothers and sisters and I'm shocked at how blind we are, stumbling along, trying to find its way. But God promises to show those who will follow him how to get where they're trying to go by a way that has been untried, and unfamiliar to them. He says, you don't know this way. He says, but I will guide you in the way. I will speak a word behind you and I'll lead you. I'll take you through the storm. I'll take you in a way you've never gone before. 
You see, Judah had tried political alliances, military strength, coups that were not coups, <laughs> diplomacy. You know, they tried everything. They tried many other ways. Yet here, God is declaring and promising to show them a way that they knew not. I'm going to show you a way that you don't know. You know, I'm always shocked that we keep going back to the same stuff thinking that we're going to get a different answer. How many times do you do that? How many times do I do that in my life? It didn't work for 30 years of my life, but guess what? I'm trying it again. Tap your neighbor say, you know what? I think he's talking about you. You know, you're trying to do business in a way that didn't work, but you think now, because you have a new government, that's going to work this time. Guys, there are principles to everything. And there's a God who wants to lead you and direct you. The second thing that this verse said, he says, I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. See, not only does God promise to show the blind the way to go, but he promises to lead them in unfamiliar territory. You know, none of us like unfamiliar territory. I don't know about you. I get nervous when I don't know where I'm going. I, don't, I get nervous when I don't know where I'm at. I like to be in control. Anybody else like that? You see, the Judeans sought a restoration for their city. They wanted a restoration of Jerusalem. They wanted a restoration of Israel. For you and I, and for the nation of Zimbabwe, the path is to return to a close relationship with God that leads to eternal life. You see, I believe if we just have a nation now that goes back to doing business as usual, if you just go back to, hey, this is how we are, we've missed our opportunity. We don't have a firm foundation. God says, hey, I'll lead you in paths that you've not known. But what scares me is we just keep going back to the same old paths that never worked the first time. Let's print some more bond notes. We know that doesn't work. Let's, that, that's a nas on a national level. But, you know, you're printing bond notes the same way. You're doing things that didn't work before, but you're trying to make them work again. God says, no, no, no. He says, let me lead you in a path and in a way that you've not known. Then he says the third thing. He says, I will make the darkness light before them. I will make the darkness light before them. You see, captivity in Babylon was darkness. They could not enjoy their homeland. The Bible says this, that they had hung their harps on the willow trees and could not even sing Zion songs in a strange land. Here's how you know if you're in bondage. The first thing that happens is your worship life disappears. It's hard to worship. It's hard to sing the songs of heaven. 
your heart isn't towards God anymore. You're just kind of getting through living life. Their faith became weak. I tell you, you, you know when you're not, when you're in captivity, when you're in bondage, when you don't have trust in God. You don't have faith in his word. You've lost faith. They became burdened. You know, when life's a burden, it's tough. Yet, God promises us that he'll turn our darkness into light. Man, I love this passage of scripture. He promised us to bring them into a more illuminating circumstance. Some of you need an illuminating circumstance. Some of you need to, I, I, you know, I, I'm shocked at how many people have just run, I mean, we're only one month into the new government and they've run into stuff and I'm saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, that didn't work with the old government. Why are you trying to think it's going to work with the new one? Some of you do that with your Christian walk. It didn't work last year. Let God bring light to you this year. Amen? And then listen to this. He says, I will make the crooked places straight. Whew. You know, the evil act here in this passage of Scripture of military exile. There's different kinds of exile, but this was a military exile. The people had been taken out of their home country. They were put in bondage. You can be in your home, home country and be in bondage. You're stripped of your culture, you're stripped economically, you're raped in your own homeland. And, and the Bible says this was seen as being crooked, crookedness. The, the, the word in the Bible is wicked, wicked people, wickedness. And, and wicked simply means wicker. Have you ever seen a wicker chair? What is a wicker chair? It's where they weave those fibers together and they put one beam this way and they weave over and then they weave under and they weave over and they weave it in such a way that you form a chair. We make wicker chairs in this country. But that's the picture that God talks about wickedness or crookedness. And he says your life or your nation can become wicker, crooked. He says, but I will make the crooked places straight. You have a chance to live a straight life. You have a chance to, this year, walk straight. Make God your partner. Let God lead you out of crookedness into straightness. Amen. See, God will always give people hope. He gave the people here hope that God could straighten out the crooked state of affairs that afflicted them and that he could make the crooked places straight. So in these four ways, God resolved to show his people the way to a better life in the present conditions that they were in, the conditions of exile, the, the conditions of wickedness and corruption and brokenness. And I think God's doing that for the nation of, Zimb of Zimbabwe right now. If you and I would just stop and say, wait a minute, we're not going to go back to the familiar ways. We're not going to go back to the ways that we've been before. We're going to go with God. You see, faith in God was the signpost in the Old Testament that showed 
people the way in Isaiah's time. God says you need to have faith in me. You're going to have to trust me. And so it is today. God wants us to have faith in him. But I want you to understand something. In the journey of faith, Jesus was the final signpost for believers looking for the way. There is no other way but Jesus. He announced to everybody that followed him that he is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. And God will do for every person that believes what he promised in Isaiah through Jesus what he promised for you and I. He will make a way. He'll lead us in the path. He'll turn darkness to light and he'll straighten out our crookedness. If we'll simply trust him, hold on to him and let him be Lord of our lives. I'll tell you what. There's no man or woman who can find the way to heaven on their own. Or on their journey here on earth Except he first accepts Christ and lets him show him how to get there from here. Today, there are millions of people who are looking for some simple but realistic directions to get to heaven. This weekend, or this week, these last couple of weeks on our holiday, we ran across people everywhere we went. And I'm shocked at how many people are lost. They're just lost. I met one lady and she was so confident telling me how, you know, uh, and she's talking about all these philosophies. Yes, Buddha. You know, I'm very interested in the chakras and Buddha and you know, getting myself aligned up with peace and karma. And on she went and on she went. And I'm thinking, so confident. She's talking about this stuff like it's real. And when I got done talking to her, I said, well, you know, have you ever thought of the claims of Jesus Christ? She looked at me, oh, that's old-fashioned. I said, no. I said, it's not old-fashioned. I said, it's the truth. I said, where you're looking is not going to lead you into truth. So we had this conversation. We were with, we were with uh, in a nation that was full of Hindus. And there are 11,000 gods. 11,000 ways. And we're not sure that one of those ways can get you to heaven. So you have multiple ways. My sons went to a funeral this weekend. And the people were right here in Zimbabwe. The people were talking about, man, what a great guy this guy was. And, you know, let's do a jig. Let's have a drink. Let's have a, a celebration of his life. Let me tell you something. His life without Christ is eternal death. Folks. We must understand, we have to help people find 
and teach them the pathway from here to there. And there's a lot more to this life than here. People are looking. People are looking. We need to be able to give clear, simple, and realistic directions on how to get to heaven. Let me tell you something. The way is not complicated. We can get there from wherever we happen to be if we follow the right steps. Let me give you those steps and we'll close. First of all, go to the nearest stop sign. The first step in getting to heaven is to simply stop doing wrong. There's no gradual withdrawal or extended withdrawal plan. You must stop immediately. There is no doubt that the way to salvation requires repentance. Luke, 15, Luke 13 verse 5 says it this way. I will tell you, I tell you, no. But except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Folks, repentance means to stop doing anything that you know is displeasing to God. If it's displeasing to God, stop. Just stop it. Stop. It may involve immorality. It may involve stealing or lying or self-destruction or any act that displeases God. The first step to get there from here is to go to the nearest stop sign and repent. Stop. Luke 24 says it this way. Then Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and, raise, and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Folks, that's our message. Repentance for the forgiveness of your sins. Every one of you and every one of us is a sinner. Can I just talk to you about repentance? Some of you don't get this. You know, there's many people that think that, hey, you can just keep sinning and that's okay. You know, wait till I make a little bit more money. Your clock's, your, your phone's really early. That's very early. Maybe you're just in the new year on the half hour. I don't know. But according to my clock, I got 30 more minutes. And we're going to have communion today, so just hold on. But, you know, there's many people, listen to me. Many people think that, hey, you can just, it's okay, just sin a little longer. God will always forgive you. No, no, no. See, God has a way of life for you that delivers you out of the bondage of this life. And if you're still sinning, you're in bondage. You just don't know it sometimes. You think you're free. You think you're going to get ahead. But that life never produces life. It always produces a snare. Always produces a snare. Now, I also understand that there are many of you that are struggling with certain sins in your life or certain sin in your life. How many of you say, yes, I know what you're talking about? Everybody raise your hand. 
How, how many of you have a sin that besets you? Huh? How many of you have a sin that, ee, a, a weakness that just, mm. and as much as you want to get over it, you just, dang it. That seems to be the one thing that catches you every time. Anybody have that? Everybody raise your hand. In the balcony, everybody raise your hand. Everybody, hold your hand up. Because there's nobody that doesn't have those besetting sins. But here's what the Bible teaches. We're supposed to repent from sin. But what do you do while you're repenting? Because repentance means to stop and turn away and never do it again. But the Bible also says this. He says, if you're faithful to confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all righteousness. Here's what I know is happening for sure in every one of our lives. Every single time that you sin and God convicts you of that sin and you repent or you confess it, say, man, and you know what, who do you confess it to? Well, you confess it to God, yes, but sometimes you need your brothers and your sisters. That's what cell groups are for. That's what community is for. You know, when we live in community, it's, easy, it's, 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 it's hard, but it gets easier when you start having relationships and you say, hey, you know what, can I talk to you? Man, I'm really struggling in this area. You phone up, hey, would you pray for me right now? Hey. There's a lot of men, they struggle with lust. But boy, if they know that the brothers that they're talking to are going to call, talk to them and hold them accountable tomorrow, guess what? That, hey man, I got to confess something to you. I want to confess my fault to you. I'm thinking bad right now. Okay, let's pray. Let's stay in agreement. See, can I tell you something? That relationship is going to help you. And there'll come a day that you'll walk away from that thing and you'll be out of the bondage that you're in. Some of you have done business so crookedly for so long that you think that's how business is done. And you make a distinction between church and business, between your faith in God and the way you do your business. I'm telling you something. You're deceived. You cheat, you lie, you steal, you rob all week long and you come to church. Ooh, hallelujah. This is craziness. And it will not produce good fruit. You will not leave an inheritance for your children and your children's children. But you need to get around godly men and build on godly foundations with godly platforms. And you need to build your businesses and your lives in such a way that they'll produce Good fruit and fruit that remains. I just want you to look around you. How many of these great businessmen that are being arrested and put in prison today? They look so big, boasting. I heard one of the men that have been put in prison, I remember when he boasted, they were talking about $100,000. $100,000, that's nothing for me. Mm-hmm. Because you stole it all. $100,000 is a lot for anybody if you earned it. When you steal, yeah, money's nothing. But when you earn it, every cent means something. Because it secures your future. It secures your family. It secures things that God wants you to do. And it helps you to be the person you're supposed to be. But unjust gain will destroy you.
I don't know how I got off on that topic. But somebody needed to hear that. Some of you need to hear this. And while you're learning, and God convicts you, the Jesus that lives in you speaks to you. He speaks to you all the time by his Holy Spirit. Confess your sins. Accept the fact that that's wrong. And catch yourself now, not a week from now, not six months from now. Now, just say, God, I'm sorry. God, forgive me. And let me tell you something. Before long, you'll come to a place where you'll no longer have to confess it because you'll repent. You'll turn away from it and you'll never go back there again. It'll never hold you again. I've watched addicts. Well, I'll tell you what, the hardest person to work with is an addictive person because they lie. They get hooked in their drugs. They get hooked in their, in their sex. They get hooked in whatever they're doing. And then they can lie. They look straight in your eyes and they just lie. No, I never did. Excuse me, what's that in your hand? I didn't steal it. But it's it. No. And, and, and they're so convincing that they believe their own lies. Liars. But you know what? Even that person will get to a place where this passage of Scripture will come to pass. If they'll turn to Jesus, there's a way from here to there. God wants to set you free. Amen? So the first thing we do, we have to go to the nearest stop sign. The second thing is, we need to turn right. See, after you stop participating in sinful activity, we must turn from our evil ways. Listen to what Zechariah said. He says, thus saith the Lord of hosts, turn you now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. Turn away from them. Look at Joel. Joel says this. He says, therefore, also now says the Lord, turn you even to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. And turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. Yeah, I'm shocked at how many people think that Bringing a big offering at the beginning of the year will cover up their sins for the rest of the year. I'm shocked at how you think you can run to a prophet and you can think by giving an offering you can keep sinning. God says, rend your hearts, not your garments. Your money is your garments. God doesn't care about that money nearly as much as he cares about your heart. Now, money speaks of deliverance, speaks of seed, speaks of future. Yes, I understand sowing a seed, but not to cover up your fault, not so you can keep doing what you want to do. You see, to turn from evil activity simply means to have a change of heart and a change of desire. It's not just refraining from certain activities. But it's returning the heart in such a way that we don't have any desire to do evil. 
We don't want a future of evil. Then the third thing we have to do is first of all, we find the first stop sign and we stop. Then we turn right and then we need to go straight. You see, the man or the woman that walks the path to heaven walks straight. Crooked practices have to be abandoned. You can't be wicked, wicker, crooked. If it's not right, count me out. If it's not straight, count me out. Jesus encourages every believer to be willing to walk the straight path, the straight and narrow path through the straight gate. And the Bible says that the number of those who find that path are few. Matthew 7, 14, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads to life and few there be that find it. You see, the straight, the straight path is free from addictions. It's free from alcoholism, drug abuse, sexual immorality. The straight path is free from Satanism and free from witchcraft. The straight path is free from ancestral worship. The straight path is free from being controlled, dominated, manipulated, and intimidated by fear of man. Those who choose to walk in the straight path are certain to make it to the kingdom of heaven. Both here on earth and in heaven. And finally, the last thing we have to do so once you're on that straight path, look for the cross. Look for the cross. To avoid getting lost, those who give good directions usually give good landmarks. Good landmarks in their directions. So even though we may be given a list of directions that tells us to turn here and exit there, the inclusion of a landmark lets us know that we're traveling in the right direction. Those who are trying to find their way to heaven should look for the landmark. This landmark is not a store. It's not a turn in the bend. It's not a large oak tree at the end of the road. This landmark is not a certain billboard or a flashing light at an intersection. Those who want to make it to heaven should go to the nearest stop sign and stop. They should turn right, walk straight until they see the cross. You know, when the weary traveler sees the cross on the hill, he knows he's traveling in the right direction. When a depressed soul sinks into a sea of depression, he's revived when he sees the cross on the hill. And he holds on a little bit longer because God can lift the head that's been bowed down, the hands that hang down, and the knees that are feeble. And I'm reminded of two little children, and they were uh, 
moved into a new neighborhood, and they, their house was right across the street from a big church with a big steeple with a big cross on the top of it. And their mother took them to school and put them on the bus and rode with them for the first few days and uh, said, now make sure you get off on this exit. And, you know, it was a big city. They were from the country. They didn't really know how to get around in the city. And anyway, so, but she was certain that they wouldn't get lost or that they knew how to get home. She sent them off to school. But one day, these two little kids, somehow the bus went a different route and they got off on the wrong exit. They got off on the wrong stop and they're looking there. Nothing looks familiar. They don't know where they're at. And the little boy starts to cry, and the little sister, she's, she said, they don't know where they're at. So they just start walking. All of a sudden, the little sister looks up. She says, I know where to go. I know where to go. And so she starts walking so confidently. Takes the little boy by the hand, and she just keeps walking and walking and walking. Makes a turn, walks, keeps looking up, walking, walking, walking. Comes right to their front door. They get home that night, and they tell their story, and the mom and dad say, well, how did you figure out how to get home? She says, well, I looked up and I saw the cross on the top of the church. And I knew if I could get to the cross, I could get to our house. Can I tell you something? God will get you from there, from here to there, if you'll go by the way of the cross. Amen. When you're lost in this world, Keep your eyes on the cross. When trouble comes your way in this world, keep your eyes on the cross. When you don't know which way to go, keep your eyes on the cross. When you can't tell your left from your right, keep your eyes on the cross. That's why David made this declaration. He says, I will lift up my, my eyes unto the hills. For whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. There's power in the cross. There's salvation in the cross. There's redemption in the cross. No wonder the songwriter declared this, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith that I received my sight. And now I am happy all the day. You see, it was on the cross that Jesus died for my sins. It was on the cross that he paid the price for my salvation. So I'm glad that he carried the cross for me. And I want you to know that to get to heaven, you must be willing to follow the trail of the cross. Every one of us has to follow the trail of the cross. Follow the trail into a night of prayer in Gethsemane. This week of this month of fasting and prayer, find yourself. It's a, it's, a, it's a burden to go to Gethsemane and pray. Sometimes it's hard to stay awake for an hour. Sometimes it's hard to get to the place of prayer. Follow that trail to a hill called Calvary. Follow that trail to a cold and lonely tomb. But don't stop there. Follow that trail for three more days and you'll find a way to heaven.
because early Sunday morning he arose from the grave. Follow Jesus. And let me tell you something. Jesus doesn't expect you to stay at the cross. He expects you to have a resurrection of life. He expects you to ascend into heaven and be seated with him in heavenly places. But all I can say is this, that wherever you're at, follow Jesus. Don't take a chance of getting lost. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.